Chapter Eleven of April's Lady. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Hannah Parrott. April's Lady by Margaret Wolfe Hungerford. Chapter Eleven. Thinkest thou there are no serpents in the world but those who slide along the grassy sod? and sting the luckless foot that presses them there are who in the path of social life do bask their spotted skins in fortune's sun and sting the soul oh there you are cries he jovially been looking for you everywhere the music has begun first dance just forming gay and lively quadrille you know country ball wouldn't know itself without a beginning like that come come on nothing can exceed his bonhomie he tucks her hand in the most delightfully genial appropriative fashion under his arm and with a beaming nod to mr brown he never forgets to be civil to anybody hurries joyce out of the room leaving the astute dicky gazing after him with mingled feelings in his eye deuce and all of a smart chap says mr brown to himself slowly but he'll fall through some day for all that i shouldn't wonder meantime mr beauclerk is still carrying on a charming restative such a bore he is saying with heartfelt disgust in his tone it is really wonderful how he can always do it there is never a moment when he flags he is for ever up to time as it were and equal to the occasion i am afraid you've rather misunderstood me just now when i said i'd been looking for you but the fact is brown's such an ass if he knew we had made an appointment to meet in the library he'd have brayed the whole affair to any and every one was there an appointment says miss kavanagh who was feeling a little unsettled a little angry with herself perhaps no no with a delightful acceptation of her rebuke you're a right as ever i was wrong but then you see it gave me a sort of joy to believe that our light allusion to a possible happy half-hour before the turmoil of the dance began might mean something more something ah well never mind men are vain creatures and after all it would have been a happy half-hour to me only would it says she with a curious glance at him you know that says he with the full and earnest glance he can turn on at a second's notice without the slightest injury to heart or mind i don't indeed oh well you haven't time to think about it perhaps i found you very fully occupied when at last i was able to get to the library brown we all know is a very er uh, lively companion if rather wanting in the higher virtues at last says she quoting his words she turns suddenly and looks at him a world of inquiry in her dark eyes i hate pretence says she curtly throwing up her young head with a haughty movement you said you would be in the library at such an hour and though i did not promise to meet you there still as i happened to be dressed earlier than i believed possible i came down and you where were you there is a touch of imperiousness in that last question that augurs badly for a false wooer but the imperiousness suits her with her pretty chin uptilted and that little scornful curve upon her lips and her lovely eyes ablaze she looks indeed a thing of beauty beauclerk regards her with distinct approbation after all had she even half the money that the heiress possesses what a wife she would make and it isn't decided yet one way or the other sometimes fate is kind the day may come when this delectable creature may fall to his portion i can see you are thinking hard things of me says he reproachfully but you little know how i have been passing the time i had so been looking forward to 
time to be passed with you that old lady blake she would keep me maundering to her about that son of hers in the mauritius you know he and i were at st petersburg together i couldn't get away you blame me but what was i to do an old woman unhappy oh no you were right says joyce quickly how good he is after all and how unjustly she had been thinking of him so kind so careful of the feelings of a tiresome old woman how few men are like him how few would so far sacrifice themselves ah you see it like that says mr beauclerk not triumphantly but so modestly that the girl's heart goes out to him even more how generous he is not a word of rebuke to her for her vile suspicion of him why you put me into good spirits again says he laughing gaily we must make haste i fear if we would save the first dance oh yes come says joyce going quickly forward evidently he is going to ask her for the first dance that shows that he prefers her to i'm so glad you have been able to sympathise with me about my last disappointment says beauclerk if you hadn't if you had had even one hard thought of me i don't know how i should have been able to endure what still lies before me i am almost raging with anger but when one's sister is in question you mean says joyce a little faintly oh you haven't heard i am so annoyed myself about it that i fancied everybody knew you know i hoped that you would have been good enough to give me the first dance but when isabel asked me to dance with that dreadful daughter of lady dunscombe's what could i do now i ask you appealing to her with hands and eyes what could i do obey of course says she with an effort but a successful one you must hurry too if you want to secure miss dunscombe ah what a misfortune it is to be the brother of one's hostess says he with a sort of comic despair his eyes are centred on her face reading her carefully and with much secret satisfaction rapid as that slight change upon her face had been he had seen and noted it it couldn't possibly be a misfortune to be lady baltimore's brother says she smiling on the contrary you are to be congratulated not just at this moment surely at this or any other moment ah as they enter the ballroom the room is already fuller than i thought engaged mr blake to lord blake's eldest son no not for this yes with pleasure she makes a little charming inclination of her head to beauclerk and laying a hand on mr blake's arm moves away with him to where a set is already forming at the end of the room it is without enthusiasm she takes her place with dysart and one of the o'donovan girls as vis-a-vis and prepares to march retreat twist and turn with the best of them a dull old game she is irreverently terming the quadrilles that massing together of an elegant movement so dear to the bucolic mind that saving clause for the old maids and the wallflowers when a little change of position shows her the double quartet on the right-hand side of the magnificent ballroom she had been half through an unimportant remark to mr blake but she stops short now and forgets to finish it her colour comes and goes the sides are now prancing through their performance and she and her partner are standing still perhaps perhaps she was mistaken with all these swaying idiots on every side of her she might well have mixed up one man's partner with another and miss dunscombe she had caught a glimpse of her a while ago was surely in that set on the right-hand side she stoops forward regardless oblivious of her partner's surprised glance who had just been making a very witty remark and being a rather smart young man accustomed to be listened to is rather taken aback by her open indifference a little more forward she leans yes now the couples part for one moment the coast lies clear 
she can see distinctly miss dunscombe is indeed dancing in that set but not as mr beauclerk's partner miss maliphant has secured that enviable role even as joyce gazes beauclerk turning his head meets her earnest regard he returns it with a beaming smile miss maliphant whose duty it is at this instant to advance and retire and receive without the support of a chaperone the attacks of the bold bad man opposite having moved out of beauclerk's sight the latter with an expressive glance directed at joyce lifts his shoulders forlornly and gives a serio-comic shrug of his shoulders all to show how bored a being he is at finding himself thus the partner of the ugly heiress it is all done in a second an inimitable bit of acting but unpleasant joyce draws herself up her eyes fall away from his unless the distance is too far the touch of disdain that lies in them should have disconcerted even mr beauclerk perhaps it has our turn says she giving her partner a sudden beautiful glance full of fire of life of something that he fails to understand but does not fail to consider charming she smiles she grows radiant she is a different being from a moment ago how could he blake have thought her stupid how she takes up every word and throws new meaning into it and what a laugh she has low sweet merry music to its core beauclerk in his turn finds a loophole through which to look at her and is conscious of a faint feeling of chagrin she oughtn't to have taken it like that to be a little pensive a little sad that would have shown a right spirit well the night is long he can play his game here and there there is plenty of time in which to regain lost ground with one to gain fresh ground with the other joyce will forgive him when she hears his version of it End of chapter eleven